Welcome to Good by Accident. Joe and Ken here with some very special guests. Wife. DJ Wacky Wise 69 here. Yep. And uh Dirty Dev. Wife with the special DJ and special guests. <laughs> you know what it is. Don't care to fact check. Thick skull. Wife is here live to fact check. Uh he will hit the cap button <laughs> if anyone's capping. I mean, we've never capped on this show before, but we've never, never capped. Know. But the, the button's about to get hit. Wyatt might, <laughs> Wyatt might cap himself. Devin might be capping. I don't know. We could be oh, capping I mean, too. No, we need Wyatt to down. make sure Dev's not capping. I'm, I'm the Devin. captain of cap, bro. Especially <laughs> Devin. Get ready. <laughs> All right. Well. All right. So we're talking about the election here, and I think generally we have to start with the question: Who do you guys think is going to win? You go first. So. I'm on the bench here, like, for the most part, but there is an American University professor that has predicted every election since, I think, 19... Like, he's predicted the last six elections. Mm -hmm. And he has a process he goes through for every single election. And a couple of weeks ago, he switched his prediction from Trump to Biden. And... I think that's pretty big because that's an academic study. It's not based on polls, which can be very flawed. And he's clearly done well in the past. So I, I think Biden optimistically, but I also understand Trump has an advantage as an incumbent and he's doing rather well as an incumbent. So I will not call it definitively, but I'm leaning Biden. Well, I hope you're right, but I saw a conflicting study today called the, the Cookie Poll put out by a bakery in Pennsylvania. And they've done this for the past three elections. It's not like just a conservative-run business. They've done this for the past three elections, and they've accurately predicted all three of them, where they sell a cookie with one, one candidate's name on it, and they sell the cookie with the other candidate's name on it, and whichever cookie sells more, that's the person who's going to win. Right now, Trump is in the lead by like five times. Like he sold five times as mm -hmm. many Trump cookies as have sold Biden people. Now, keep in mind, speakers in Pennsylvania, and they've got people from coming from, like, Staten Island. Well, also, Pennsylvania's huge. Yeah, and, so... But also, that might be a good measure of who has a larger base. And I think we can all agree, Trump has a more loyal and larger base. Especially in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But we have to be looking at the higher turnout and all of that, which I know necessarily isn't, like, always democratic. But... I think this election is either going to be an outlier or we're just going to have Trump again. Yeah. I think uh, the dynamics last time were that there's a lot of independent and undecided voters. A lot of people vote in third party. And close to the finish line, there are a lot of undecided voters. And they really all broke for Trump late. And I think that ended in the victory. This time around, many less undecided voters. But record record turnout and so I think that could have some interesting implications in terms of um, potential polling errors mm -hmm. uh, and I think like you're saying Keenan in terms of enthusiasm obviously Trump has far more enthusiasm like the Biden enthusiasm if you can even call it that is I'm not Trump enthusiasm <laughs> exactly or, this is really, <laughs> this is getting really fucking annoying you know with this like Tiring, annoying Trump bullshit. Tired of his fucking um, Twitter. <laughs> tired of his, his all caps tweets and his like constant nonsense. For sure. Um, but that all being said, I think, you know, if 
I would rather be Biden right now. Of course, you know, he has more paths to victory. That's for sure. Uh, Trump's definitely more narrow, but, um, if I were to say now, it's, it's hard to say. I've been back and forth the entire time. Um, but I, I'd like to think that I, I think Biden, I think Biden will win, but so narrowly mm-hmm. that um, it's going to cause some problems by the skin of his teeth. But we're not actually going to know that he's won. Uh, until Malin happens, unless he wins Florida. So if he wins Florida, I think it's over. He's not going to yeah, win Florida. I'm, I'm sorry. But yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think he's going to win Florida. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah. He shows his up in the polls, and I think it's wrong. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. I think... Uh, I I don't know. I think Trump could win. I think it's 50-50. I really... I hope Biden wins, but I honestly am I'm super torn. I think, I think the worst part is that it's not going to be like an election night that we've had in the past where, you know, by the end of tomorrow night, we're going to know... It's going to be like the election week, and it's going to take several days probably for them to tally. If you're talking about the mail-in votes, that's going to take a few days. Um, And yeah, I think we're going to kind of have to deal with that, too, is it's going to be a really contentious week, and I'm not sure. I'm hoping it won't, but I think it might become kind of a violent week with some protests breaking out. Um, Because honestly, I think we've seen like both sides kind of have the capacity to get pretty nasty in the protests. So either, either way, this is not going to be probably the most peaceful change of power that we've seen. Absolutely. I think that's like one of the biggest things we have to worry about right now is how the election is going to be perceived. Because I saw places near me getting boarded up. I mean, I don't, like alleys right on um, Tremont, yep. they boarded themselves up. And, you know, everyone right now is expecting violence no matter who wins. And that's the most disturbing part of it for me. Because this is, might be the first time we don't have a peaceful transition of power in what 200 years yep. and it's also it's pretty despicable because trump hasn't really condemned that either he said that he's going to contest no matter if he if he loses he's going to contest the results and i mean one like you said 200 years we haven't had a president that's done that and this wouldn't either be like the most uh the most contentious election as far as like this doesn't really seem right that would have probably been the last election when mm-hmm. when clinton lost it seemed like there was definitely some something going on there um, but yeah, and it's pretty horrible that as a president, he's, he's kind of encouraging that even from his supporters and saying like, you gotta, you gotta bring up the arms, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it's clear that, you know, he, on multiple occasions, he's been asked in the debates by interviewers, by even Fox news, will you accept the results of the election? And he has made sure that he would like, he, no, it's clear. He's not going to, he's like, well, it depends on mail-in ballots. It's clear that if he loses, he won't accept, but if he wins, he will. And that's a really dangerous precedent because that changes the entire way our political game is played. Well, hopefully hopefully when it comes down to studying the political game in the future, people are going to see that Trump is a clown and this whole four years has been kind of an anomaly. But yeah, I think it's, it's going to be, if, if he loses, this is going to be the most rigged, the most unfair, the most whatever election of all time. And if he wins big ups to the USPS and, you know, everything was done perfectly. It was an airtight system. So, you know, it's going to be a flood of bullshit either way. Right. I'm looking at a, a map right now. that's playing around with some states. 270 to win. And this is a very plausible scenario mm-hmm. where I'm trying to figure out how to, how you split the main vote. But I think Maine's going blue. Maine, Maine might go blue. We'll see. But, but they, they do ranch, but they do... Mm-hmm like proportional yeah, electoral right. distribution. Mm-hmm. 
So let's say you um, you have you give Trump Florida, which I think he's probably yeah. gonna win Florida. Yeah. Even give Biden like, give Biden the benefit of the doubt, he wins Arizona. Don't you give Ohio? Which is a big Trump. Let's say Trump because Ohio is super close. That's a toss up. Mm. That could easily go Biden. Easily go. That's Trump. a fifty fifty. Right That's there. a fifty fifty yeah. right there. I spent some time in Ohio over the summer, and it's I saw overwhelming majority of Biden lot signs when I was in Ohio. Really? Yeah. Mm. I had yeah, the opposite. Well, I had the opposite experience. Like you know, driving through yeah. Ohio, like that was something you know. Granted, uh, yeah, I was in. I mostly spent the time like in the city, so I was outside of the city mm. in the suburbs. So yeah, it might have been kind of skewed, but Ohio is real world though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, most of it. Well, sure. on the topic of Ohio, uh, we have a cookie poll from Cincinnati. Uh, this oh. place, Buskin oh. Bakery, oh. has predicted the winner of every presidential election since 1984. Holy shit. All uh, right. As of now, as of uh, today, the vote stands at 19,700 for Trump, 13,900 for Biden, Uh-oh. and 8,000 smiley independent cookies. So... <laughs> I, I don't know what that Fuck says. Oh, no, if you're if you're an independent, you're listening right now. You know who to vote for. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we might again, I think those. that's like a measure of basis. So, mm-hmm. like a measure of who eats more right. cookies. Answer. Which yeah, that's enthusiasm. So if you look, even if we give Biden has a pretty decent lead in Michigan, although Hillary did and she lost. Even if we give Biden Michigan, give him Arizona, um, and then we say that. Trump wins Florida, which I think is pretty likely. Trump wins Georgia, also very likely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trump, Trump, Georgia. Trump's going to win Georgia, probably. <laughs> yeah. Although the Senate seats are, are, are very, very close. It's going um, right. Georgia's red. We'll, we'll see. We'll see, yeah. It's a 50-50 shot. Very likely red, though. Ohio, toss-up. Cookie poll is leaning one way in Ohio, but cookie poll is going see, I'm not going see, all in on cookie poll. We'll see. And then like this election isn't like any other. And that's election. true. That's the, that's that's the point I was going to make. The uh, this election is such an outlier. So many more people voting that I don't know if we can trust the cookie poll. Exactly. So well, it, it's just like a completely different paradigm, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to go back to like a point you were making about like when we were talking about precedent. So I know I've talked with Joe about this on multiple occasions. But I, like, I think Trump's more of a solo figure, where he's someone who degrades institutions, but he's never going to be someone who takes over our democracy. Like, I see a lot of people going, oh, Trump's going to be a fascist dictator. No, he's fucking not. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. He's going to set precedents that might make it easier for someone else to. But no way, like, he's not he's smart just, enough. He's too enough. Enough. He's, yeah. Exactly. He's too fucking stupid to become that powerful a person. Like, mm-hmm. I think... Although seeing seeing how much of a mess this election is, if Trump wins, you gotta like. Do you think he's gonna be like, all right, it's eight years. Like I'm not gonna try to battle that. You know, it's been. All I don't these... think he's gonna live through another four years. I think he's done. Um, but yeah, it, it's gonna be interesting. I I think we're, this is a map right here, where it could end at two sixty nine, two sixty nine. Oh. And then it goes to the courts. Which he uh, wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This to me seems very plausible. Mm-hmm. Biden wins Arizona and Michigan and Wisconsin, which he's has decent leads mm-hmm. there, so I give him the benefit there. But let's say we give Trump Florida, definitely Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, mm-hmm. and then split the main votes. That's two sixty nine, two sixty nine. The other states, I mean, these are all safe red. Yeah. 
these oh, are safe red these are sometimes split the, the but they're split. inconsequential for the most part like right i think we have to look at the main swing states and i, I think michigan's going blue which is I something like trump blue. was he able to flip that but i think michigan's going blue this um, election florida definitely going red 100%. but one thing i was actually reading texas might be leaning blue it they say it's leaning blue, but man, I think it's that's going to take yeah. another few cycles for that to mm-hmm. really well, become see, reality. See, the thing is, like, there's been huge growth in major cities, and urban areas tend to lean blue. Right. And Texas has had more growth in its major cities than almost any other state in this country. So I think right. Texas has had a lot of changes that might make it different. I would still, like, if I'm betting, i bet red. Yeah. But now, I think it's what, what happens if you change Maine to be a blue state? Um, if you change Maine to be a blue state, then Biden eeks it out. Because right now I have it as a possible scenario is if they split the Maine vote, then they're 269-269. I'm not sure. I'm not super familiar with the Maine polling. And I think, you know, it's New England. So it can kind of... Maine's leaning blue right now. It's leaning blue right now, but mm-hmm. with everything going on, it's uh-huh. very hot. It's who's you know, the bitch ass senator from Maine? Susan Collins. She's Susan in Collins. danger of losing yeah, her seat. Yeah, exactly. Because they have ranked choice voting. Exactly. And actually, the Democratic her Democratic challenger is winning in the polls, yeah. and the person who's in third and mm-hmm. fourth, because um, like with ranked choice voting, like you know, mm-hmm. second, third, yeah, etc. Yeah. So a lot of overwhelmingly, the Democrat. So I can't remember her name. Susan Collins' challenger is overwhelmingly favored in people's second choice of the third and fourth yeah. candidates yep. and yep. Susan Collins. Which I think that. that is a seat that not a lot of people are talking about, but I think that is going to get flipped. It's just a little bit, but a little bit is going to make the entire difference here. Exactly. And that Susan Collins race is what I was thinking about. And Maine's going to be interesting. Very under-talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Senate in general is under-talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone's focusing on the presidency, yeah. but if the Senate goes blue, I think that's bigger than the presidency going blue. Because if we have a full blue Congress, I think that matters more than the presidency. I mean, it would definitely mm-hmm. limit what he's able to do, but mostly I want the president to go blue just so Trump takes the L. Fuck him. Yeah, I hope no. he has a bad time. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. But I just want to take it back real quick because... For Massachusetts, is right now it's on the ballot, is um, ranked, ranked choice voting is like Massachusetts might be doing that. What do you guys think about ranked choice voting? I fully support it. I 100%. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's honestly, um, Akeem and I have been talking a lot, especially mm-hmm. over the summer. Like I think our last podcast, the last podcast like 20 minutes talked, on it. Yeah, it's been a good while on it. It's like, there's so many issues that kind of come back to the idea of that the duopoly is self-reinforcing and that their interests are into like raising money and getting reelected versus actually doing shit for right. people. Um, and I think that kind of has uh, made it, it the, the duopoly is self-preserving so they act in their self-interest yeah. so that any insurgent candidates mm-hmm. that bring new fresh ideas um, can never win. And that's why like Congress uh, has like what a twelve percent approval rating, but everyone like incumbents yeah. win like in like ninety percent of the time yeah. or something like that. So here's one thing that I was thinking about though, and this kind of, a lot of bias here, but Massachusetts it's like always a blue state, and the reason I was kind of thinking I'm not so sure how I feel about the rank choice is because if you rank it, then and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not super familiar on how this works. If you rank it, there's more of there's a higher chance that a Republican candidate could take a seat, right? There's technically a higher chance. 
But it's unlikely. Okay. See, I think, like, I see ranked choice as a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I want to get to proportional voting. That's what I think is the best for democracy. And that's, you know, not where you're ranking choices, but say the Democrats win 60% of vote, they get 60% of the representation. And so I'm hoping to move more towards a system like that. Like a parliamentary parliament Exactly, system. yeah. Because it's seen a lot of success. You know, if we have a Congress that is fully representational of our entire country's political ideas, I think that would be a lot better. Also, there's... Uh, like one of the huge laws of poli sci is if you have proportional representation, it leads to a multi party system. And a multi party system is, I mean, I think we can all agree getting rid of the two party system yeah, is going to be fucking good. good. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. what about though the parliamentary system a lot more inefficient than kind of the two party? Because if you just have the even representation of all the different views, you just mm-hmm. kind of have like a much, a much wider amount of things. Like you have to argue over a lot more stuff. I feel like it'll be a much like our, our system's already really slow moving mm-hmm. and the more we dilute the people in there it's gonna be even more slow, yeah. So that is like what most people thought was gonna happen. And so the law I mentioned earlier, diverters, that's I'm terrible at pronouncing things, but I think that it, why? Could you check that? Diverters theorem? I think that's what it's called, that's the proportional representation thing. Cap check. Cap check, Cap yeah. Um but it, it like Conventionally, you think it'll be slower with, with multiple parties, and people thought the Winchester system was going to be faster because it just had two parties. But we found that parties form coalitions way faster, and so there's minority representation because minorities are good for forming co- coalition. Like a minority party is good at forming a coalition with like a larger party in order to get a majority. So you think it's going to be inefficient because all the parties are going to be fighting. But in the end, people would rather have part of their ideology implemented than none of their ideology implemented. Fair enough. All right, so I got a definition on uh, Diverter's Law. It says that uh, it holds that single ballot plurality rule elections structured within single member districts tend to favor a two-party system. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, yeah. Cap check complete. Complete. Pass. All right. No cat. So no cat. <laughs> so uh, so I have a question on that. So uh, with your your argument there is that it would not lead to more than just two parties uh, getting representation through proportional voting because so I'm yeah I'm saying proportional voting will lead to a more multi-party system as so more than two uh, as opposed to just two yes. because like when when I think about it that that kind of seems like. You get more party, maybe you get some some green party people in there, some lots of independents that yeah. might just totally clutter the system. But well, I mean, like I was just talking with Dev about this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at a lot of European systems, like if you look at the Netherlands or Germany, mm-hmm. they form coalitions. So it's okay. not like you don't need a majority. You still need a majority to pass anything, but you need people to come together and agree. Okay. And so the Green Party will ally with the center-left party. Yeah. And then the center-left party will take a couple of Green Party policies and implement mm. them. And then, in turn, the Green Party will support the center-left, and they'll make a majority as a coalition. Okay, so it, it leads to uh, more compromising. Exactly. Uh, and I think we can all agree polarization in the U.S. is shit right now. Yeah, yeah, 
I think to what you're saying is the reason that happens is because there's an incentive. It's because if you want, um, like it, it makes our democracy more dynamic because it allows for, um, like if you're, uh, you want to have the majority coalition, then if, if there's allow, at least like in the first step, let's say we have ranked choice voting or proportional system kind of similar, similar ideas. Um, if you have over time, inevitably you'll have more insurgent, you know, maybe a green party candidate and independent or something like that. Inevitably when those candidates kind of trickle in, then, um, you know, let's say like with the, there's a traditional in 10 years in the future, we have ranked choice voting nationally. And we still have, you know, traditional Democratic Party. Now the Green Party is a very insurgent um, uh, party because of ranked choice voting and they picked up a bunch of seats. If the Democrats want to actually pass something and get something done, or, you know, for a matter of fact, they want to keep their seat because, you know, they're more likely to be in the hot seat with the ranked choice voting, then their incentive is to actually get stuff done because they're going to get reelected if they actually do something because you know, that's their position, their position is more fragile. And so there's a motivation to form a coalition uh, with, you know, the closest ideological party and get something done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, like, if you look at the Democratic Party right now, you look at the squad as a completely different ideology than, you know, traditional Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right, like, it'll be, you know, having to change the actual party policy. Which hopefully it will also be good for voter turnout because I think part of the problem with voter turnout is people see two candidates mm-hmm. that are the only ones that are that have any shot mm-hmm. at winning, yeah. and it's really alienizing to people that don't really agree with either of them. They fall somewhere in the middle. They might just not want to vote. Or people mm-hmm. like you know, if I'm a Republican living in Massachusetts, like I'm not even going to bother the polls. Like, it's screwed. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be a good thing. And like again, there's coming from either either party. You might be like, well, I don't want people who are contrasting with my views to have more of a say but i think that's kind of the nature of democracy is it'll in the long run it'll be a good thing because if you try and paint all people in a democracy as one or the other yeah but i think we all here pretty much agree fuck both parties yeah, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, i'd like to have that choice i think it's much more realistic than right. saying you know red or blue that's a false fucking dichotomy right there 100 and i think we see that culminating right now we have Joe Biden, who's been in politics for 40 years. And if you were to like think of all the 300 something million people in the United States, who would be like an ideal person to run for president? You wouldn't think, oh, let me think, yeah, the 78 year old guy, let me, we want him to run for president. Like he's definitely top shape, mentally, physically, all that. Like, of course not. But the re- there's a reason that he was able to coast to the presidency is because, um, you know, especially Trump has created such a visceral, visceral reaction for so many people that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the natural human thing is to like resort to what feels comfortable and normal, mm-hmm. um, at least on like an emotional level, not necessarily on a pulse on what their actual policies are. Um, and Biden just feels very comfortable and normal. And so when it came down to when it came down to it, and coronavirus is really ramping up as the race tightened between Bernie and Biden. Um, I mean, they're obviously both been in politics a long time, but Biden feels the most familiar and the most comfortable. And so in that kind of situation, and obviously 
happened throughout you know the Democratic primary as well as well you know this person doesn't have a chance to vote for this person and that kind of dynamic is always going through people's minds and so that's it's why it's like always like no matter how many times Democrats or Republicans do absolute shitty things like we feel like we have to keep voting them because we feel like the person we actually want to win won't actually win and that will help the other side. So, so speaking of like the perfect candidate, let me talk about Seth Moulton because for the past couple elections, I was like, oh, I can't wait for Seth Moulton to run someday. I love like, so he's from my, he's from my district in Massachusetts, war hero. He's done a lot of stuff in Massachusetts, generally well liked here. So I was like, he would be a great presidential candidate. Totally failed. Yeah. Not not liberal enough for the left, and like just he had no chance, didn't have a shot. And he was, like, he was out immediately. I didn't even hear about him running until he was out. I remember when we saw him, I would, and you were like, Oh, like I know the Seth Moulton guy is super cool. I'm like, Yeah, I ran for president. Remember when we went yeah. to see him at I, the event? I didn't know. Yeah, right. I didn't know. Oh, man. <laughs> we're, we just got to the point of the podcast that happens every single one of our podcasts where we talk about Yang. <laughs> and I think Yang, yeah. very, like, uh, very similar, you know? Yang didn't have the social left of the left and he wasn't in the exact same economic standard that everyone's supposed to abide to and so many candidates like that who bring up fresh new ideas and the problem is as you were talking about that emotional being comfortable and yang wasn't a comfortable emotional guy because he had new policies he had something that works but hasn't been brought up before and people weren't comfortable with it Although, does it work? Because I was still very sussed out about his whole plan for getting rid of the, the, the welfare and everything. Like, it all looked good on paper, so but it's totally, like, I'm real confused on how that would actually work. Well, out. like, there was a lot of negative media about it, but he released an actual plan. When you read through it, you realize a lot of the media stuff that they were saying about it, they're like, he's getting rid of all welfare. No, he was getting rid of certain kinds. I like. I remember like, hearing about like the actual written plan, and still, it seems like a big change to me. When like, yeah, they've done research and everything, but like a universal basic income to everybody. You're given what was the what it was like? You supposed to get twelve thousand bucks a month. Like, I don't like none of us really desperately need a thousand dollars a month, and there's people that really do. And I mean, wouldn't basically everybody in the U.S. would be getting a thousand dollars a month? Like Jeff well, Bezos puts getting a thousand dollars a month. It puts everyone above the poverty line. line. So That's the idea the yeah. is that. While it makes intuitive sense that, well, yeah, we want to protect the most vulnerable people, the process of going through and figuring out who those people are and drawing that arbitrary line and mm-hmm. saying, well, you need it, you don't, like, you make $2 more than the line that we drew, so you don't, mm-hmm. that doesn't count. The process of doing that is actually Cause so harmful, right? Because, like, so many people have to jump through a million loopholes, there's reporting, it's just so punitive and awful, and people would just rather... It's a really expensive bureaucratic process that a lot of people can't even complete. Right. So if you think about a lot of the people below the poverty line, they don't have the resources, the time, or the ability to go through that bureaucratic process. So once you say you're giving it to everyone, you eliminate that huge bureaucracy that is making it overly complex. And probably overly expensive. Though. Exactly. It's costing you know billions of dollars just to figure out who needs the thousand? Exactly. Right. So if you just give it to everyone, you make sure every single person is receiving it, and you make sure no one who doesn't have the ability to navigate that is left behind. Because if you look at our homeless population right now, they don't have the resources to jump through bureaucratic loopholes. So then, and, speaking of bureaucracy, though, how do you give a thousand dollars to every homeless person? 
Well, it's just mm. based on citizen, like social security. Social security. So you just social pull up your social security card yeah. at the bank. I think it would be something like through homeless shelters or some. There would be some way that would be some thing kink that would have to be worked out. Um, but, but certainly, I'm sure there would be some funnel for those people to access it. And I think one other thing that I wanted to add about that is the way that universal base can come is funded actually makes it so it's a fair system so that Jeff Bezos who receives I mean it's you can opt in so I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't agree to bother <laughs> but like let's say just for a hypothetical Jeff Bezos opts in for a thousand bucks a month and guy on the street here in Boston uh, gets a thousand bucks a month seems like well that doesn't seem fair but if you fund it uh, with what every other country that tax. And yeah, value added tax that every other, you know, most other developed countries in the world have. Um, and you do it, especially, you ratchet it up on like luxury goods and like things that more wealthy people buy, and you have it at zero, near zero, on like, you know, kind of consumer staples, things that everyday people buy. So that way, it doesn't hurt the poor, but actually, since it's a consumption tax, since rich people consume more, let's say, um, maybe not Jeff Bezos, but someone like, for example, let's say you make a few hundred thousand bucks a year and you spend two hundred thousand dollars a year and a ten percent tax on that is twenty thousand so you're net paying you're net paying eight thousand dollars into the system versus someone who has no income and is homeless they're gaining all of that mm -hmm. right. so if you look at the net gain mm -hmm. versus net yeah. loss it actually becomes a very fair system because mm -hmm. rich people pay more who rich people who pay who consume more consume pay more, more kind of people it's the same basic mistake as someone who looks at the profit of a business versus the income of a business. It's all about, you know, the net. If you're not looking at the full picture, it can look unequal. You mean versus revenue? Yeah, like revenue, yeah. yeah. Revenue versus income. But um like my favorite thing about the value added tax is you can't dodge it. Yeah, that's right. true. Mm -hmm. That's true. You, can't you want to buy off. shit, you got to pay for it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to McDonald's, you can't put, you can't wire it through some offshore yeah. account. You know, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about yeah. that. Also, I believe in the, like capital gains. Like, I want to increase capital gains tax to help with that as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like not being able to dodge is the biggest thing because, mm -hmm. yeah. like loopholes. I know this is often like considered just a Republican talking point, but loopholes are the biggest fucking problem in our tax system right now. Yeah, I mean, for me living in Northern Mass, if I want to buy basically anything expensive, I drive to New Hampshire and buy it there. Because you don't pay taxes on your iPhone, gas, whatever, and everything is so much cheaper there that you're going and buying things up there, and it's that easy. Like, anybody who lives around me is that easy, you don't pay the taxes. And that's the most minor form. Right, know, right, exactly. Yeah. That's, like, that's like an everyday thing that everybody does. Like, I'm getting yeah. gas, I'm going to drive up to mm -hmm. fucking Seabrook and buy gas. Yeah, easy. I mean... Like, everyone from Chicago buys their shit in Indiana. Right? Yeah. But then, you know, billionaires are saying, Trump we'll put our money in Panama. Yeah, Trump pays 750 bucks. You know, Facebook's paying like 3% taxes. Amazon literally paid zero last year. Yeah. They just and put their like, internet, like, intellectual property abroad. It's right, or, or they, they, re they reinvest it back in the company yeah. or whatever, and they claim that they made no money, which is obviously bullshit. Yeah. Um, and and but, code is so easy to move. Yeah, like, right. And the thing about a value-added tax is that each point in the uh, consumption system, so not just on the consumer-facing side, but on like, throughout, the, yeah. throughout the production side, yeah. too, yeah. which makes it... But that's, that's a major change that uh, we'd have to take to get to that point. But um, it's something... You look at Yang, like, 
uh, he definitely came in came in really strong with a thousand dollar a month thing, mm-hmm. and I think I think he's much more than that clearly. But that point was so strong, it became associated with who he is, him as a candidate, and which ultimately probably led to him not getting as far as he might have otherwise. Absolutely. Now let's keep it fun. If we all got a thousand dollars a month, what would you guys get with that thousand dollars a month? Would you save it up and spend like twelve thousand dollars on one thing mm-hmm. once a year, or would you spend like an extra thousand bucks, an extra like two hundred fifty dollars every week? I already know immediately. I have once pandemic, the biggest thing I have missed is traveling. So once travel restrictions are lifted, I'm doing a vacation for the boys. Instant travel, okay. Instant. Yeah, I would say. More generally speaking, like as a college student, like it's just nice having that. Th- like it just makes it to stress way less. Like mm-hmm. you're not worrying like, oh, I better do college next semester, so I'm making money. Like, <laughs> that's a yeah, that's like, a huge you can like chill and like it's not a big deal. And like the money, it's not like it's like we'll put it to good use. Like I would, I don't know, I would like invest maybe half a quarter or half of it, and the other half, you know, occasionally we go out to dinner and invest it in the, lo- in the local businesses and stuff or, or whatever. And oh, we'd just... be going to, like, Scopa a lot more. <laughs> We're going to Scopa a lot more <laughs> yeah. than, one, like, uh, once a semester. I would save it up and then just buy one watch once a year, one, like, nice-ass watch. And i buy it on eBay to support people, not from, not directly from the retailers. Mm-hmm. No, you have to fly over to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> Walk into the world's headquarters. Immediately convert it all to Europe. Yeah. Because because you believe in America. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to open a bank while I'm here. Speaking of loopholes. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, that that point is it's very interesting. Um, but the my thought on that is how is that gonna devalue the dollar with everyone getting a thousand dollars a month? Well when you have a tax equal to the amount spent. It's not inflation because you're not printing more money. You're just taking more taking from more at the tax exactly. All right. There's no more printing. There's no more excess money. It's just mm-hmm. the, it's just the circulation, mm-hmm. the way the ways that money flows, and kind of the way it. So just because higher levels yeah, of taxation through, mm-hmm. or it, it would equal a higher level of taxation than what we have now. Yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah. Tax. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. trying to have a Weimar Republic situation. We're not printing more money. You know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of that, though, one of my professors brought this up in class the other day was how. The U.S. has just been printing money, like, since the Obama administration, like, under Obama, mm. there's, like, a trillion dollars just made. And it actually didn't really devalue our dollar that much because the dollar is still so strong. So when he said that, I was like, hold up. I've heard this story before, and it didn't end well. Modern but, monetary theory. Yeah, I mean, so, mm. like, theoretically, we could just be printing more money, and it, yeah. I mean, maybe $1,000 to every single person every single month. That might be, that might be kind of a little bit too much. But theoretically, to a point, the U.S. can basically just print out sheets of money to pay for whatever, and it doesn't yeah. hurt our economy. Oh, because the dollar is the standard currency. Right. right. We're, yeah. yeah, we're like the standard currency for yeah. the world. And uh, what's like the, I don't know what the technical term is. It's for like, this theory, it's modern monetary theory. I don't know, well, like the technical name, like the, the dollar is like the uh, reserve currency. Reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, you know, in no way we printed $4 trillion for to bail out the banks, yeah. and there's no inflation, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, well, like, the difference, mm-hmm. though, with, like, a UBI, though, is that it increases tax revenue. Exactly. Because all of those people are spending. Like, when you give $1,000 to a poor to person, they spend it on stuff that's being taxed. They pay mm-hmm. their taxes, and that goes back to the government. So, like, a net cost of a UBI that Yang was recommending 
was like four hundred and fifty billion, which is it's a lot. It's a lot. It's well, a lot. For, for but it's government. also yeah. it's also States. half of our military. Right. Like and the Pentagon could use a few. I think we could just make a few less bombs and yeah, exactly. you know, invest it in people. You know what we, we do need in the military though is the missile interception system. Our one we have now is from like the eighties. Are we and talking no, about no, that or Pat three? That and right now it's that was developed in twenty twelve. Whatever it is. All right, then I'm thinking maybe... Pat 3. Is that the one in Alaska? Uh, Pat 3 is the low-altitude interception system. All right, this is the high-altitude, that, so it that is... That is high-altitude. Okay, but anyhow... That has 100% accept, like, 100% success rate. When? In 2012? In 2015. All right, I was reading the other day, and North Korea, the, the latest missile that they're developing, the new ICBM that could reach anywhere in the U.S., it has these countermeasures that are pretty common now. Like, this is high-tech for yeah. them, but basically everybody's missiles have these countermeasures that basically intercept the interceptor. Mm -hmm. And so now even North Korea has these that would make the Thad not be able to intercept them. The way the kill vehicle works, it wouldn't be able to see the missile when it's in the stratosphere or whatever. Well, see, the thing, like, those used to be really effective, but Thad has been updated every single year. No, and no, that hasn't been updated in a while because it was supposed to be updated last year and they... It was, it was a contract with Boeing or something, mm -hmm. and they cut, they shot it down because there was too many problems, and it was one, running way over budget. They shot it down, and they were like, all right, no more. We're going to have it what it is. In December of 2019, the THAAD missile system intercepted U.S. missiles with top, like, our absolute top intercept, like, everything. Cap check. I want to I wanna cap check on the THAAD missile system. THAAD missile system? Yes. Because, see, all right, maybe no, I'm thinking see, about the, the other one. The problem but, is, like... PAC-3s were used to do high altitude, and they failed. Like, they failed against all of those systems. Mm. And we thought PAC-3s were a huge Star Wars, you know, beating everything with sure. Reagan. And so we had those in South Korea and everything, and we thought PAC-3s were going to be, you know, ideal. Yeah. But that hasn't been implemented in too many places. Well, also, this study I'm talking about was done by the people who make that missile systems. Right. So I always take it with a grain of salt. Okay, because mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, so the, the article I was reading was regarding like stratosphere missiles, ones that like they go up basically okay. into space. So I don't think it would be right against about the that. Yeah. 3 I don't know, but whatever no, it was saying, can, yeah. it was saying that the, the current countermeasures that we have aren't effective against these missiles, the new ones. So like I did a few uh, debate cases on this and I saw a bit of both sides where I saw that missile systems were either considered very effective or very flawed, yeah. and it depended on the media reporting it. Okay. So I, I saw that they had a lot of success, but it was success like by the company. Right, it was tested by Boeing exactly. or something. Exactly, and, like, but then there were other systems, like other tests where like uh, the Guardian um, was like, they never work, which Reuters said was... No, no I don't like, really trust too much I hear from the Guardian. I, normally, the Guardian is one of my go-to. Like, I kind of read that shit. I'm like, I don't know about this. The Guardian's left-leaning, but generally they do fact-based reporting. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's very complicated because a lot of that stuff is military secrets. Mm -hmm. So you're just relying on kind of like hearsay. Right. So you can say either side has a lot of validity mm -hmm. based on what hearsay you hear. Because if you hear from one source, they're going to say that is the best in the world. Hear from another source, they'll say that doesn't even work on low altitude missiles. I mean, it's possible it is the best in the world and it still isn't up to date. Yeah. Because realistically, the missile threat hasn't really been that high. 
So it's not it's not like in the Cold War where it was like every single year you need to have the best possible missile system or you're gonna die. Yeah. But like See, now that might be I'm hoping it's not gonna be as much of a problem and like it's not gonna be back to that point. But with China on the trajectory they are, they want to be able to match the U.S. and Russia in their military capability by halfway through this century. Like we might, we're, we're approaching another arms race at some point. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I, uh, but I think second strike capability is way more important than any anti-missile system. Because currently, like, if, like, the doctrine of mutually assured destruction, we have enough nuclear missiles not on our continent. So if you level the entire U.S., we can still level your entire country. And you can't find where those nukes are coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think part of the problem, though, is that the threats that we're going to be facing in the future aren't going to really be coming. Like, it's super unlikely that we're going to get a nuke launched us from yeah. North Korea, China, Russia, whatever. Even I would be more... It's pretty much a miracle that we haven't had a dirty bomb go off anywhere. Because in that case, you get nuked and you can't just shoot a nuclear missile off into wherever you figure out the terrorists came from because it's one terrorist. So that's kind of the problem now is that we need to have more countermeasures against that kind of thing yeah. than the ability to hit back another country. Especially with states that can't control. Right, exactly. That like have terrorist actors in it. Like Pakistan is highly vulnerable and yet they have nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. They could easily be infiltrated. Yeah, they could mm -hmm. mock them. Yes. But you know, that that's a really complex situation. Right. I think most security threats are going to be more economic than military. With the military power between great powers, no one wants to actually fight a war. What we have to worry about right now is economics, because that's how people are truly dominating each other. Right. I think China is obviously the biggest, yeah. um, honestly, threat right now, especially, I think, in, in the race in terms of AI, and we're way mm -hmm. behind China yeah. right now. Uh, and I think that is a huge concern that's something that I hope uh, if Biden gets elected that you know he'll put someone like Yang in, in there and who is someone who understands technology and the impact of technology uh, and and can do some work to try to, to try to even the playing field a little bit um, and make sure that um, that that I don't know that that we win quote unquote so to speak because you know in this day and age you know the wars are not our fought will be I think will be fought less on the battlefield and more on behind the keyboard. Yeah, not running out with a grease gun anymore. Right, exactly. <laughs> Whether or not that's a good thing for the United States, it's a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's a bad thing. Um, and especially um, uh, with with China's China's rise and, and you know their authoritarian regime and the kind of stuff they're they're treating of the Uyghurs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Is we need to make sure that we have an upper hand. Mm -hmm. um, on China, and we cannot, um, and, and, and I think one thing that, um, although I think Trump's approach to China was not, uh, hasn't, hasn't worked well, and I think the tariffs were a giant mistake, and they've really hurt, uh, especially a lot of people in the Midwest and farmers, um, I think at least he's tried to do something. Obama was super soft on China, mm -hmm. and I think that one thing I fear about a Biden presidency is that he's going to be the same way. Although Obama did reduce cyber attacks more, like he actually did really well on that. So he threatened economic sanctions, and there was a huge reduction in cyber attacks. 
I just did a case on this in my foreign policy class, and the most effective way of altering Chinese policy was actually under Obama when he threatened economic sanctions and then created a diplomatic summit to reduce cyber attacks. Interesting. It cut him by, I think, over like 85%. Mm. Like, we were talking about that. It's something that I, I didn't know about before my, like, my foreign policy class. Right. Like, when we first started talking about Chinese cyber attacks, I'm like, all right, we, like, economic sanctions won't work. But then our professor did a study on Obama's and they were like insanely effective. I was mm. personally shocked. That's surprising. Um, right? Yeah, like I take that back. I think maybe more in terms of trade. Yeah, he was very soft. Yeah, no, no. Uh, P, well, yeah, again, like, this is P, something my perspective. Right, has changed, but I think like, from yeah. PN, from the PNT perspective, I think he could have done a lot better, and he let a lot of jobs get outsourced. But yeah. I think from the mm-hmm. security standpoint, that's. Very I was really surprised. Like that's something in the past two weeks, like. Three weeks ago, I would have been the same thing, but after looking at my professor's study, that was a yeah. big change of heart. Um, right. mm-hmm. So whatever, whatever happens in this election, we gotta we gotta be harder on China for sure, be. as mm-hmm. as Donald so wisely put it. Yeah, and, and I think one uh, one thing I've been I've been reading about recently is that, you know talking about Obama and Biden is that a lot of people actually looked in when Obama was president a lot of his people looked down on Biden because Biden, I think this is Biden's biggest advantage actually politically is that he's not, he didn't go to like some shiny Harvard mm-hmm. kind of school and he's not like a political intellect kind of thing. He's not an intellectual really. <laughs> and that, I, ta- I, I mean that as a compliment yeah. actually. I mean that as a compliment. I think because well, he's he not a political intellect. <laughs> He doesn't really look down, you know, he doesn't really look down people's noses and kind of look, you know, and, you know, I think that the way Obama did, uh, and, and I think because, you know, people think, you know, he's like middle class Joe from, from Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, and, you know, he went to University of Delaware, and I think that was honestly his, big, his biggest political asset is that he's not, he's not a snob, um, and I think he is, he's less... He's less ideological more so than he is. He kind of moves to like the center of gravity. And so hopefully, that's my hope for Biden. My yeah. best hope for Biden presidency is that the center of gravity gets shifted. And he, because he's kind of a political opportunist. That's right. why he's been around for 40 years. And so I think hope, that's my best hope for Biden presidency is that the, the conversation shifts enough and that the center of gravity moves and where he's like. I mean, if, if the Democrats get, get the Senate as well. Then that center of gravity is, is shifting soon, very quickly, and so. Yeah. I think also the um, keep track of. At the same time, though, that like was it um. What's that guy's name? The VP under GW. Cheney. Yeah, Cheney. He was like he's also an example of that. He like grassroots, like he was like totally low level guy, and he political opportunities kind of came up through like an internship program. And under Rumsfeld, a really good example of a super crooked politician. So mm-hmm. just because somebody came from honest roots doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be an honest politician. What are you talking either. about? President Cheney was our best president. Yeah, dude, yeah I mean, that guy's <laughs> like, he's a perfect example of the American shining. President Dick Cheney. Yeah. So, I mean, I totally agree with, like, you want to kind of open up the... Hi. Oh, it's We're recording your house. Go for it. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to see it. Oh, yeah. Thanks. No problem. 
I surprise to guests all on the of our, To all guests. three of our listeners. <laughs> um, Sorry for the intro. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Cheney, you think oh, yeah. Like, yeah, so Cheney... I, like, I totally agree that we should try to lower the bar for, like, who can make it into politics, and I don't mean lower the bar and, like, we don't want more Donald Trumps, but I mean, Let's like, bring in yeah, you don't, you don't need as many of these people that are, like, from Harvard and from the Ivy Leagues and, like, super, like, high-proud politicians, but at the one same time, it's not gonna, it's not gonna clean up our politics at all. Yeah. It's, like, politics is a nasty game, it's always been one, and it's probably always going to be. Anyone who mm-hmm. thinks politics is going to be anything other than power is fucking <laughs> It's all about the power grab. Yeah. But I think the fact that Joe Biden's made it where he is, and that that's kind of his background, is is definitely mm-hmm. an asset. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've just been flipping through some polls for tomorrow, and actually, uh, I think some of these may may be more conservative. I honestly don't want to hear polls. Like, Bias polls, mm-hmm. but the. Um, it there's one poll in particular that actually has Trump up in Michigan, which is a more conservative leaning poll. And so, I mean, who's the pollster? It's um, pollster was let's see. Uh, yeah, she's like I normally go with Gallup and Pew. Like Gallup and Pew are the most most reliable. I think this one is from let's see. Trafalgar, oh no, Trafalgar Group actually, they did one in Pennsylvania. They have Trump up too in Pennsylvania. I've never heard of um, that. Yeah, and then Trafalgar Group also had him up too in Michigan. So I'm not not so sure about yeah. that, but I think the overall takeaway is that, hey, it's not totally out oh, of yeah. the realm, even if it's slightly biased. Well, I mean, he's doing better in the polls than he did in 2016. Yeah. And that's pretty fucking big. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Remember when we were talking about poll dynamics during the primary? And polls are done still primarily through landlines. Right. Yeah. You're not getting the old Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and if one thing, if we learn one thing from the 2016 election, don't trust the polls. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody wants to be able to see into the future and see, like, all right, this is is what's going to happen, but end of the day, like, just wait. You can do nothing except for vote. The biggest mistake of Hillary Clinton's campaign was make like her campaign manager was a former like pollster. Yeah. She did everything based on polls. And that was the dumbest thing in her campaign. She would change her policy position every week based on what the polls said. I mean she like took one flaw in a sea of flaws though. Yeah. Like that that yeah, was a very like, bad campaign. No, it was a terrible campaign, but if you're taking polls as gospel I mean, that's that's like, number that, one. Yeah. That, that could have led to some of her bad decisions mm-hmm. where, you know, didn't go to the Midwest at all. Yeah. That was also just kind of like... She clearly Hillary didn't Clinton Pokemon be... go to the polls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's just chilling and see the rest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Go vote. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see what happens. Make tomorrow. sure you're mentally okay tomorrow. Yeah. Not a lot of people will be. But drink, <laughs> drink a lot of whiskey. A lot <laughs> that, of whiskey. All right, that's gospel. gospel. Yeah. That's gospel. That's, Speaking of gospel, a, amen. That's, that's gospel. Cheer cap. The cap detector says no cap on it. Cheers to that. No cap. Right. Yeah. We all will. Right. Uh, we'll be back in a few days or a week or so with. Uh, I think we'll be talking about this soon. Recap. We'll be talking very soon. And we'll probably recap. be having our great guests with us. We'll have uh, dirty dead on why we're great additions. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a breakdown of, of what's going to happen next. So until yeah. uh, then, cross your fingers for tomorrow night. God bless and good night. Amen.